you must be born again. That was a statement that Jesus made to a religious leader who was extremely religious, and everybody thought that that was the way to enter into the kingdom of God or heaven. He was perplexed at Jesus' statement, didn't understand what Jesus meant by you must be born again. Today, we're going to take a look at what it means to be born again. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 3. We'll start with verse 1. Now, the context is, as we took a look last time, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And when he was there, he cleansed the temple because there were uh, commercialism happening and everything except uh, treating God's house as a house of prayer and a place to meet the Lord. And in this context, we come to verse, chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this, And now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, the Pharisees were the epitome of religion when it came to the Jews. They were the leaders. Um, they were those who people would aspire to be like because they were following the law. They were teachers of the law, and they were the rulers. They were made up of the Sanhedrin. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were uh, together and part of the Sanhedrin. But the Pharisees were the more conservative of the two groups. And so uh, we have this man who was a Pharisee, whose name Nicodemus, comes to see Jesus. What's interesting is that the Pharisees were openly hostile and opposing Jesus. And yet here's this one who comes to meet him. And this man came to Jesus by night. So uh, there are some questions of whether he did so because he didn't want the other Pharisees to be aware of it or uh, other situations or the schedules of Jesus and him were so busy that that's the only time they could meet. But however, they meet at night. And uh, Nicodemus says, Rabbi. Now, even though the Pharisees generally have been hostile and opposing Jesus, he seems to come and respect because he teaches, he addresses him as rabbi, which is teacher. And Jesus didn't come from any rabbinical forms that they would have uh, appreciated or assumed, uh, but he gives him that name rabbi teacher, showing him some respect. So at least at this point, he's not like the other Pharisees who are so opposed to him. It says, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, he says these things, and he's being uh, generous, if you will, to the sense that he has treated Jesus with respect, but he's misunderstood who Jesus is. He says, that we understand that you come from God because no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. The mistake he made is not God is with him. He is God. That's a significant difference. And a lot of people even today will say, well, Jesus was a good teacher and he was this and he was that. No, no. His claim and his statement and his proof and his veracity and authenticity is he is the son of God. And so... Nicodemus, while giving him 
some a lot more respect, if you will, than the other Pharisees, he still misunderstands exactly who Jesus is. But Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly. Now, when you see these words, basically it means I'm, I'm being really honest with you. It's truly, truly, or verily, verily, as the Old Testament, as the um, King James says, it's a statement of saying, what I'm about to tell you is simply the truth. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to notice that he doesn't limit it to Nicodemus. The statement is, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So Nicodemus goes, wait a minute, that seems impossible. It's impossible because I don't care how old you are. You could be five minutes old. Your mother doesn't want you back. She had a lot of pain delivering you to begin with. But so he, he missed her sending. He goes, wait a minute. But basically what Nicodemus is saying is not, he totally misunderstands. Because what Nicodemus is saying is to be reborn. Jesus isn't talking about being reborn. He's talking about being born again. So even if you were capable and it wasn't impossible to back up and go back into your mother's womb, you would simply be being reborn, not born again. So he's, he's flummoxed, he's perplexed. He goes, I don't understand. How can this be? It's impossible. And you, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus doubles down. He doesn't back up and say, okay, well, if you don't understand, I'll, I'll explain it. And he goes, no, no, you must be born again. And not only can you not see the kingdom of heaven, you can't even enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so it requires to, that you must be born of water and the spirit. Now, when it comes to the spirit, most people understand what that is. That's the spirit of God and whatever. But there is about three major views of what the water means. Some people say, well, what the water means is, well, you're born the first time, and so there's the placenta that it bursts, and you've got the water that comes out. And so it's talking about your first birth. That doesn't feel comfortable to me. The second one says, well, it talks about baptism. And so it's water, and it's a baptism, and you're dunked, and whatever. The scriptures don't teach that baptism is a sacrament. It's something that believers do in response to the fact that they claim that Jesus is Lord and they're going to, in essence, make their first statement of faith in the Lord. So I don't think that's it. The third is, well, water is simply a repetition of spirit. So water means spirit and the spirit means spirit. And so it's spirit, spirit. That doesn't feel right to me either. So I have a solution that you can take my solution and five bucks and go buy a coffee at Starbucks. I have found when you have difficulty understanding a particular passage, wait a little bit. So for instance, I remember Jesus reading Jesus uh, 
gave a parable about the sower and the seeds. And I read commentaries about what Jesus meant by that. But if you waited another chapter, Jesus would tell you what he meant. The next chapter, when Jesus is talking to the, uh, the lady at the well, he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him to give you living water. I believe what Jesus is talking about is the fact that Jesus, through who he is and your faith in him, gives you that living water, and then the Spirit united confirms your new birth. And so this, to me, is more satisfying. You may disagree. I, you have the right to be wrong. It's okay. But that's, that's my, so I have, I have four solutions. I'm not happy with the three. I like mine better. Uh, you can like whichever you like. But Jesus is definitely saying, you must be born again. And he's telling this to a person who is religious. Everybody thinks if this guy can't make it to heaven, no one can make it to heaven. And later Jesus will say, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you can't do this. And so Jesus is saying, I don't care how religious you are. I don't care what standards and what people think you are. Unless you are born again, you're not seen or going to heaven. And he repeats it. And then he, said, then he goes, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's saying there's, there's a birth in the flesh, and people live in the flesh and, and whatever, but there is a birth that takes place because of the spirit. And that changes a person. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus, why, why, why are you so confused? You don't understand earthly things. So then Nicodemus goes, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Because again, Nicodemus has been taught. He's a chosen person. He's a part of a chosen people called the Jews, called the Israelites. And on top of that, he's specifically religious and thought of as an example, and he's a leader. So wait a minute, I don't understand. How is it that I don't qualify and you're talking about the spirit. But Jesus isn't talking about anything that he shouldn't be aware of because throughout the scriptures, it talks about the spirit of God. Even Genesis 1. And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Going, Wait a minute. You claim to be able to teach Israel about the scriptures and you can't understand what I'm teaching you what I'm saying to you this is something that should be second nature to you because you are a person of the book you've read the scriptures you understand you're supposed to be a teacher and yet you don't seem to understand 
truly, truly, again, I'm speaking the truth. I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. He's saying, I'm speaking to you as one who knows what I'm talking about. It's not theology. It's not philosophy. It's not speculation. It's not hopeful. I know what I'm talking about. How is it that I know what I'm talking about? If I told you earthly things about the wind and where it goes, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's saying, I know because I was there. And I know what the restrictions are because the Father sent me to open up heaven for y'all if you become born again. Now, I want to share something that I want you to think about because I know what I'm going to say is going to upset many of the theologians who determine how you get saved. But I just want you to think about it I want you to consider it, and then I want you to investigate the scriptures to see if I'm a heretic or I'm right. I think the, if you will, analogy of that you must be born again is dead on. And I'll tell you why. Jesus says, you're born of the flesh and you're born of the spirit. Let's talk about being born of the flesh. You weren't there when your mother and father fell in love. You didn't give them permission. You weren't there when they, and I'm going to try to keep this G or PG, but you weren't there when they got together and each contributed something from their body and it united and it ultimately would become you. You didn't say, I consent to that. I want that. I'm going to be that. You, those two cells just merged. You didn't even say, I'm going to grow. Because the code in your DNA started to develop cells and more cells and more cells. And some of those cells became bone and skin and organs like eyes and lungs and ears and all these different things, and you had fingers and noses, and, and all of these happened not because you willed it, but because the code in your cells had to replicate and become a baby. And then when you got to that point where you had matured, and some of, some of you um, were born a little early, and some of you were born a little late, some of you were born about a decade or so ago, and some of you were born about 80. I mean, I'm sorry, not 80, eight decades or more ago. On that birthday, you didn't choose it. See, I was supposed to be born June 30th. I, became, I was born July 27th, so I was almost a month later. But even I didn't choose my birthday. My mom pushed me out. It was her body who determined it was time for me to leave. And if you had a normal birth, 
It was your mother who decided in her body, it was time for you to leave, and she pushed you out. You didn't crawl out. You didn't move out. She pushed you out. And if there was some difficulty in the delivery, a doctor came and did what we call a cesarean section and cut your mother open, and he took you out. Think about that. And think about how much control you have over being born again. It is your father who causes you to be born again. But because Nicodemus is so confused about Jesus' teaching about being born again and how do I do this and, and the spirit and all this, Jesus helps them out. Because the Pharisees believe in the scriptures. They so protect the scriptures that they do all kinds of stuff to prevent you from ever violating the scriptures by putting roadblocks from you to, to violate the scriptures. I'll give you an example that I often give. There is a prescription against eating a lamb boiled in its mother's milk. So you got a sheep or lamb, and then you're not to boil it, and the, the milk that comes from that sheep that was born. So to avoid ever violating that, you're not allowed to, as if you're a Jew, to eat a cheeseburger. Now, the last I checked, especially in, in, in the United States, hamburgers isn't made from ham, it's made from beef. Not made from a lamb. And the cheese that comes on doesn't come from a goat or a lamb. It comes from a cow. And the dairy cows are different than the beef cow. So there's no chance that you're going to boil a baby calf in its mother's milk because they're two separate types of things. So they don't want you to violate the scripture. So they put all these hedges around it. So Jesus goes, okay, you've blown it. You don't understand. So I'm going to reference a scripture that takes place in numbers, a part of the Pentateuch, a part of the scriptures that even the Sadducees would acknowledge as controlling. And he says this, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. He says, there is an example in the Old Testament. And I'm going to go there quickly so that for those of you who don't recall numbers or you haven't read it because you started out trying to read numbers and it was a whole bunch about numbers and you, and you got bored. There's some really great stories in numbers. So I encourage you, if you started and it, you start I don't care if there's 357 people from Gad. Whiz by that and, and get to the great stories. And so in Numbers chapter uh, 21, starting with verse 6, it says, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. Now, the reason that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people is because the people did what the peoples always did 
in it of Israel. They griped and complained and bit, bite back, and they complained about Moses, and they complained about God, and they complained and complained and complained. And it sounds like people today. And so God had had enough of it. So he sent serpents, and they started biting people, and serpents who bite people usually infect them with poison, and if you get poisoned, you're going to die. And so that's what happens. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. So they acknowledge it. We've, you know, and again, notice we have sinned. It's not we made a mistake. We sinned. We spoke against God. We spoke against Moses. We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Now this shows great mercy. Because most of us, if people sin against you, you you made your bed lying. But they're coming to Moses and well, we spoke against God and we spoke against you, but we want you to intercede for us. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. So they're asking Moses, intercede. We don't want these serpents. We don't want... We, we're tired of painfully dying and all these things happening. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. Now this symbol... If you want to know what it looks like, take a look at the medical profession. That's their symbol, which I find interesting because they always talk about science. This is talking about faith. Because looking at a snake on a pole, unless God said so, sounds dumb. How does that remove the poison from me? But God doesn't want you to He goes, this is what I said. It may make no sense to you, but believe. If you believe, you will be delivered. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a servant bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, This situation doesn't mean, oh, God sent a bunch of doctors and they gave them antibiotics and they were living. No, no. He said, believe what God tells you. And if God tells you to look at a pole with a snake on it to live, then you look on a pole with a snake on it. Now God, through Jesus, is telling you want to live as an eternal life? Then you look at the crucified Jesus. And you believe in him. And it may not make any sense. As the scriptures even say in Romans, I'm not in Romans, in 1 Corinthians. This whole thing about the cross to the Jew is a stumbling block. And to the Gentile foolishness. And it's still to today, 2,000 years later. The Jews still have Difficulty with Jesus being on a cross and your friends and mine have difficulty understanding that it's faith that causes us 
to be born again. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not becoming a better person. It's not being religious. It's not doing the right things. It's not doing more good things than bad things. It's about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul says, while it may be a stumbling block to them and a and foolishness to the Gentiles, for us, it is the power of God. And Jesus says, there's going to come a time very soon when I, as a son of man, will be placed on a cross and I will be lifted up. And Nicodemus is going to be there. He's going to see this very thing come to fruition. We're looking for faith. Jesus tells us where to find it. Looking at him and what his death, burial, and resurrection means. That not only do we get to see the kingdom of God, or how it would be worse than what Moses experienced when God said, I'll take you up to a mountain and I'll let you look at the promised land, but you're not going in. How devastating would it be to go to this mountain and see heaven and the kingdom of God and say, you can't go. But Jesus says, because of your faith in me, not only will you see it, you will enter it. And you will enter into his rest and his love and his patience and his mercy and his tenderness. All because, not because we're great people, not because we're more righteous than Nicodemus, not because we are more observant with the law and know more doctrine than anyone else. We know it because we have believed on who God said to believe. And all God's people said,